0: Hey, everybody. Welcome. Uh, Hey, you can have a seat. You can have a seat. Uh, Welcome back to Hope. Hope you had an awesome Thanksgiving break. Two weeks ago, uh, the weekend before Thanksgiving, it was the end. It was Commitment Weekend to our Building to a Hope Beyond Giving campaign. We were hoping that God's going to use that campaign to open the doors to new life. Uh, eternal life for more and more people all the time. And so uh, we asked you to prayerfully consider one-time gifts or three-year pledges for that campaign. And we've counted up the gifts and pledges so far. It's $3,008,353 to be exact, which is a ridiculous amount of money when you stop and think about it. And so we're praising God uh, for $3 million. We're $3 million closer uh, to the phase two expansion here a little bit of a bummer news is that's not enough to move forward with the project debt-free which is what we're committed to doing uh... somewhere between four and five million is what we uh... need for that so i wanted to update you on next steps what what happens next number one if you've already given a gift, we want to thank you for that. Uh, if you have made a pledge, a three-year pledge, those start in January, we'd ask you to please give that. Every dollar that you give, every dollar that you give to Building to a Hope Beyond will be used for the construction of that phase two project. And so, uh, Every dollar gets us a little bit closer to moving dirt. When the total of the money that is in hand and the pledges that are still to come, when that total is enough for us to start building, that's when we will we'll build. Secondly- we've got a construction team that we've put together. This church is blessed with a lot of people who are in the construction field, are very knowledgeable about that stuff, and so they're going to be going to work over the next uh, several months looking, is there anything that we can do a little differently, value engineering, that sort of thing. Uh, There's not going to be much that we can do. It was a pretty tight budget already, uh, but if there's something we can do differently, we will find that and we'll keep you updated as that uh, process unfolds. We began this uh, campaign because we have space needs, and those needs have not gone away. In fact, they will continue to get greater as you continue to carry out this mission and invite people to be a part of what God is doing here. And so I think sometimes there might be a temptation to say, well, let's just build whatever we can build for $3 million. Uh, one of the mistakes churches make is building too soon and building too small. And so we've been really prayerful about figuring out you know, what is the space that we need to accommodate the ministry God wants us to be doing here, and we think, Shrinking the uh, floor plan or the blueprints would not be the wisest thing for us to do. And so the third thing I want you to know is it is never too late to give. Uh, the Monday after commitment weekend, we had our initial count, and it was $2.8 million. And so in the last two weeks, as people who maybe were away on... Uh, uh, and it weren't here for Commitment Weekend or then you were away for Thanksgiving break uh, and didn't get your pledge in on Commitment Weekend, we've had $200,000 more come in. And so if that's still you, if for whatever reason you haven't been able to give but you were intending to give, we would encourage you to please uh, fill out that pledge card or you can go online and give. Uh, just make sure you give to the uh, Hope Ankeny Building Fund and it will go to uh, this campaign. Uh, you might be thinking, well, I don't know, my gift isn't going to get us to $4 million, or my gift isn't going to get us to $5 and and that may be true, but we had 474 gifts to get us to 3 million. So if we get 50 more or 100 more gifts, um, we're going to be getting closer, uh, that needle closer to where we can build. So that's kind of where we are as it relates to uh, the building. If you have any questions, I'd be happy to uh, try to answer those. Stop by, shoot me an email, give me a call, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, We've got a little bit more work to do And we have a little more waiting to do. And so as Jackie Keeker, a longtime uh, staff member here at Hope Ankeny said this week, she told me, well, uh, first weekend of Advent is probably a good time to be reminded of the important work that God does in us while we are waiting. So we're going to transition from the building campaign to the season of Advent and to do that we're going to take a look at a Christmas advertisement from a British department store called John Lewis. Uh, For the last, I don't know how many years, every year John Lewis, this department store in Britain puts out a Christmas commercial that's really creative. You can watch I think about 20 years worth of John Lewis uh, Christmas commercials on YouTube if you get snowed in at some point in the next month or three. just make sure you have a box of Kleenex handy. This is the 2011 Christmas commercial. It's called The Long Wait. The Long Wait. Take a look.
1: Good times for a change. See the luck I've had could make a good man. Turn back So for once in my life Let me get what I want. Lord knows It would be that... the first time Lord knows It would be the first time
0: Gotta love Christmas. Please, please, please let me get what I want. Lord knows it would be the first time. This is what Advent is all about. It's a season of longing, yearning, craving, waiting for something we do not have, waiting for something we desperately want. At the same time, Advent is a season of hope. It's a season of this belief, this faith that the long wait will soon be over. And that's what our gospel reading is all about. Mark chapter 1, John the Baptist shows up on the scene and he starts pointing people to the long-awaited, the long-expected Messiah. Let's read verse 7 together. It's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. John announced someone is coming soon. One more time. John announced someone is coming soon. You have to understand the people of Israel had been waiting for a really, really long time for this someone that John says is coming soon. They're waiting for the Messiah, the Messiah who has been talked about, prophesied about for centuries for the people of Israel. Uh, Many of the most well-known sort of Christmas verses, uh, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Uh, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, all of these Um, familiar sort of prophecies about Christmas come from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament that's written, a lot of people think, 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And so for 700 years, the people have been waiting for someone to come soon, each generation hoping their generation will be the one that gets to see the Messiah. But for 700 years, they've been waiting in vain. And now, John says, someone is coming soon. It would have been hopeful news for them, but it also would have been news that was difficult to believe. I wonder what it is in your life you're hoping is happening soon. If Christmas season, holiday season, for some reason it seems to be one of those times each year we start to pay maybe a little more attention to those things in our life that don't seem to be going the way that we want them to be going. My pastoral care calendar is just booked as people are wanting to talk with someone about things that have been going on the whole year, but now they're like, we've got to do something about this. We've got to talk to someone about this. Could be marital struggles, could be just unresolved relational conflict, financial issues. Maybe uh, someone in your family, someone that you love has died and you just need to talk through the grief with someone. I don't know what challenges you are facing today, but I know a lot of people are facing situations that just seem kind of bleak. When we're in that spot, when we're waiting for something, when we're trying to make sense of life, when we're wondering why does it feel like door after door after door is getting closed in my life, it can be really challenging. When, when we're looking for something different, something more, something better, and nothing seems to be changing, it can be really easy to lose hope. And all of us go through different times like that, that reality of waiting and wondering how long am I going to have to wait? We go through that reality and experience it at different times in our life. It's a reality powerfully portrayed by Jeremy Renner's character in a movie called The Hurt Locker. It was uh, the best picture in 2009. He plays a U.S. Army soldier in Iraq. He's part of a bomb squad. And so it's a real high adrenaline life or death kind of existence that he lives there. And when his tour ends and he comes home, he's trying to adjust to civilian life and trying to make sense of everything that he has seen and experienced and then comparing it, contrasting it to his life at home. And he finds himself in a cereal aisle at a grocery store one time, just kind of overwhelmed by life. Take a look.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow, Here's some shopping. Yeah. Got some soda, we done? we get us some cereal? I'll meet you at the checkout. OK. Cereal. Boing, boing, boing. Yeah. You know you love playing with that. You love playing with all your stuffed animals. You love your mommy, your daddy. You like your pajamas. You love everything, don't you? Yeah. But you know what, buddy? Get older. Some of the things that you love. Might not seem so special anymore. You know? Like a jack in the box. Maybe. You realize it's just a piece of tin and a stuffed animal. But the older you get. The fewer things you really love. By the time you get to my age, maybe it's only one or two things. With me, I think it's one.
0: Here's a guy who's really comfortable making life and death decisions in the war zone, and then when he gets back home, he's overwhelmed and confused by trying to decide what cereal to pick. About a little over 70 years ago, two brothers returned home from fighting in World War II, Carl and Theo Albrecht, and they started running the neighborhood grocery store that their family had. It was in the bombed out, war torn city of Essen in Germany. And it was in a real industrial kind of place, and so they they limited uh, the options that people could buy in that store, just kind of the uh, essentials, milk, and Uh, Butter, flour, and sugar, bacon, and that sort of thing. And so... they were doing it, doing it, just just everything was going fine. 50s and 60s, there's this post-war economic boom that happened kind of all over the world, uh, happened in Germany as well. And so all over that country, these massive supermarket grocery stores started to rise up, selling thousands of uh, different items at their stores. Well, these brothers, the Albrecht brothers, were unfazed, and they remained committed to kind of this counter-cultural business model for their stores, and they opened up more stores around Germany. They called them Albrecht Discount, or Aldi for short. Uh, Here's what the Wall Street Journal wrote about Aldi last year. Dim lighting bounces off brownish tiled floors. The shelves are sparsely filled with cardboard boxes. Checkout lines stretch to oblivion. There is nothing super about these stores. Yet their owner German discounter Aldi is betting billions it can win over spoiled American shoppers. How? by offering them fewer choices, way fewer than rival retailers. The unlikely proposition has worked nearly everywhere. Aldi has set foot. The company is now one of the biggest retail groups in the world with more than 10,000 locations and annual revenues approaching $83 billion. It seems like Aldi is experiencing a lot of success because of their commitment to the idea less is more, limit choices and keep it simple. It's the first weekend of Advent, and as we move through this next month, uh, through the month of December, as we move closer and closer to Christmas, I wonder if this might be a mindset we would want to adopt. Less is more. Limit choices. Keep it simple. That, I don't know, monologue that Jeremy Renner's character was having with his uh, infant son in that scene from The Hurt Locker, it was fascinating to me on a lot of different levels, also tragic on a level. I mean, he's talking about this reality that the older he gets in life, the more focused his life becomes. That things that he used to think were so awesome and so great now don't seem that great anymore, maybe even seem a little trivial, a little pointless. We all go through that, don't we? I'm I'm the middle of three boys. And I remember when, when we were kids, when we were growing up, it would be Saturday morning and it would be time for Saturday morning cartoons. Like, this is the greatest thing in the history of the world, Saturday morning cartoons. And so we would invite our father to sit on the floor and watch two or three hours of Saturday morning cartoons with us. And dad would always find something else he needed to do. And I couldn't quite understand. Why would you not want to watch cartoons with us? Now I get it, right? This is part of maturing. The older you get, you realize what is really good and important, what really matters. Jeremy Renner's character is on to something that I think is, you could say, holy, it's righteous, that part of what it means to mature as human beings, but particularly as followers of Jesus, is to realize what are those things that really matter. This is what Jesus does. He takes the hundreds and hundreds of Old Testament laws and commandments and regulations that is complicated, and everybody's trying to figure out how do we follow this, and Jesus simplifies it. Love God, love your neighbor as you love yourself, and you're going to be doing just fine. So Jeremy Renner's character is on to something, and he says to his son, the older you get, you're going to realize there's maybe only one or two things that you actually love. And then the tragic thing, he says, is, for me, it's only one. And it's not his son, it's not his wife, it's not his buddies in the army, it's this mistaken belief that the only thing that makes his life matter is what he does. Here's a guy who has limited his choices in life, he's kept it pretty simple, and in the process, he's missed out on what matters most in life. Here's what I think I'm trying to say. The message today is called A Simpler Christmas. I think it'd be really easy for the preacher to stand up on a weekend like this as we're, you know, moving from Thanksgiving into Christmas and say, people, don't you get it yet? The best Christmas possible is a Christmas where you pull out your calendar and you just start Xing out, I don't know, 25% or 40% of your commitments. Don't be so busy. It'll be a better Christmas. It'd be easy to stand up and say, look at all your shopping lists and uh, things that you still have to buy, just X out, I don't know, 10% or 25% of it, just don't buy so much stuff. Don't, don't buy into the hustle and bustle and consumerism of Christmas if you really want to experience the best Christmas possible. And that might be true, that might make for a better Christmas, but at the same time, if your focus for this season is simplifying, simplifying, sim- that's my focus, is just a simpler Christmas, you can do that and still miss the point of this season. The point of the season is not how busy you are, not how simple you make things, not how minimalistic you can live. The point of the season is incarnation, Emmanuel, God is with us, God with flesh, a God who comes so that we can experience the power of God's presence. What would it look like in your life over these next four weeks to have a moment or three or a dozen where you experience that power, the power of God's presence in your life in such a way that you're so aware of it, it's so real that your faith cannot help but grow. Your hope cannot help but grow. Your love cannot help but grow. Someone is coming soon, John the Baptist cries out in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. That's the point. How, how are we going to prepare our lives, our homes, our families, our, our relationships? How are we going to be prepared for God to enter our lives in powerful ways? Not just the Advent season, but how do we start living lives where that is the whole point? That's what matters most. It's a challenge, constant challenge for us. I think Jesus' brother James has some wisdom for us. You know, often when we point to this book of the Bible written by Jesus' brother, I like to just ask people, how many of you have brothers? Anybody? Brothers? All right. You can put your hands down. What would it take to convince you your brother was the son of God? <laughs> I I, same thing. Je- Jesus' brother is convinced his brother's the son of God. Here's what he says. Read it with me. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want, because you don't ask God. You remember the lyrics at the end of that commercial that we watched? Please, please, please let me get what I want. Lord knows it would be the first time. I wonder how many of us actually know what we want. Jeremy Renner's character, he becomes convinced he knows what he wants, but I think he was deceived. He still didn't really know what it is that he was searching for, looking for, what it is that would make his life kind of complete. And I wonder how many times you and I simply have not done the hard work that it would take to actually figure out what it is that we want in our life. And so we see some things that are maybe shiny and uh, glistening and we think, I'll buy that or I'll invest in this relationship or I'll consume that. That is what will give me what I want. And then Christmases come and Christmases go. And we find ourselves at the beginning of January or the start of the new year just kind of empty like it didn't happen again, like we've got the post-holiday blues or whatever it is, because we've got all of these expectations, and it never quite lives up to our expectations. And even if we receive everything that we had on our Christmas list, we find ourselves realizing we still don't have what it is we truly want. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God, Jesus' brother James writes. Is he saying, instead of making out Christmas lists to Santa Claus, just view God as kind of this divine Santa Claus, make out your list, but give it to God, and then God will give you everything you want? No. Next verse, he says, even when you do ask, you ask with the wrong motivation. That's why you don't get what you want. I wonder if maybe what James is getting at is the starting point is asking God. The the starting point is realizing as we mature, the older we get, what really matters most is... Who is this God that created everything, who created me, who gave me life? What does it look like to listen to God, to learn about God, to worship, read scripture, pray, engage with my faith in such a way that God starts to open my eyes to help me to see what it is that I really want? You don't have what you want because you don't ask God. Maybe God wants to help us see what it is we actually want. Uh, we, we built this building three and a half years ago. We moved into here for it was about four and a half years that, you know, we knew this was, was where we were going to be. And when I first got into my office, I'd look out the window and there was nothing but farms and farmland around me. And so I was kind of excited and anticipating who might our neighbors be, you know, what are going to be the really cool shops and restaurants that pop up all around us. So I got to tell you, I'm a little bummed that one of our closest and biggest neighbors is a big storage unit. And I get it, I get it. People move to this town and I don't know where I'm gonna live so we'll put stuff in storage for six months or for a year until we figure out where we're actually going to live. But I don't think that's the real reason why we're building so many storage units in this country. A woman named Alana Samwell writing in The Atlantic in August of this year was talking about uh, the connection between technology and our current sort of retail practices. And part of what she writes about in the article is, remember how it used to be? Remember when you used to have to actually leave your house to do shopping? You had to go to a store or go to a mall and sometimes they weren't open, you know, you had to kind of plan it out and so the whole shopping process was this long and drawn out thing and then technology has simplified it. And so you can go online with one click and free shipping and your pajamas in your bed at three o'clock in the morning and you can get all your Christmas shopping done. We've simplified it. And here's the results. Here's from the article. In 2017, Americans spent $240 billion, twice as much as they spent in 2002, on goods like jewelry, watches, books, luggage, and telephones and related communication equipment. Spending on personal care products also doubled over that time period. Over the same time, the population grew just 13%. 13% more people spending 50% more. Americans spent, on average, $971.87, almost $1,000, on clothes last year, buying nearly 66 garments. You know, do the math, seven days a week, and in one year you buy 66 garments. The average American bought 7.4 pairs of shoes last year. All told, we are accumulating mountains of things, said Mark A. Cohen, the director of retail studies at Columbia University's Grad School of Business. He sometimes asks his students to count the number of things they have on them in class. And once they start counting up gadgets and cords and accessories, they end up near 50. Americans have become a society of hoarders, he said. It's easier to accumulate more, it's easier to spend more, because we've simplified it. But it makes you wonder, does simple always equal better? At the same time that we're amassing all this stuff, Americans are taking up more space. Last year, the average size of a single-family house in America was 2,426 square feet, a 23% increase from two decades ago. The number of self-storage units is rapidly increasing, too. There are around 52,000 such facilities nationally. Two decades ago, there were half that number. We're accumulating and accumulating and accumulating. More and more stuff all the time. So much so that people say America has become a society of hoarders. And it makes you wonder, are we maybe losing more than we are gaining? Let's go back to the wisdom of Scripture, the wisdom of Jesus. Mark chapter 8, verse 36 and 37. It's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul. Is anything worth more than your soul? And so if we were to kind of narrow our focus, and Paul says, when I was a child, I thought and reasoned and acted like a child. When I grew up, I put away childish things. Well, if we were to grow up and narrow our focus and realize what it is that matters most in life, if we were to focus in on our faith and ask God to show us what it is that we really want, God wouldn't point out there to something that we can purchase or some new device or gadget or something we can consume. God would point inside. God would point to our soul. And God would start to help us see that what we actually want is to be people who are known for our love. People who understand there is a God who loves us perfectly, unconditionally, And as we get filled up with that knowledge, filled up with that reality, God's real love for us, it would flow out of us into love for the world around us. We might not believe it now. We might not see it now. But I'm guessing the older we get, the more we will come to this realization. That's really what matters most. For centuries, people of Israel are waiting for the Messiah they want a military hero, a political hero, someone who has the power to change all of their circumstances instantly. And it turns out the Messiah they really needed is born in a manger in a forgotten corner of the world. When he's 30 years old, he's baptized by his crazy cousin John wearing camel hair clothes and eating locusts. The Messiah that they want, the Messiah they need, touches the untouchable, heals the unhealable, and speaks and preaches with a power and authority like nothing they had ever seen or witnessed before. The Messiah they needed went to the cross and died. And on the third day, the power of God's love raised Jesus from death to life so that we could all know that God's love is the most powerful thing in the world and that love is what we need. That love is what we're searching for. That love is the real love we're waiting for. One more advertisement from John Lewis. This is the 2014 Christmas commercial. It's called Waiting for Real Love. Take a look.
1: All my little plans and schemes. Lost like some forgotten dream Seems like all I really was doing Was waiting for you Just like little girls and boys Playing with their little toys Seems like all we really were doing was waiting for love.
0: for real love, that's what Christmas is all about. And we remember the real love of God, the love that changes everything when we come to the Lord's table. We remember it was the night he was betrayed, Jesus was having a meal with his closest friends. Took some bread, he broke it, he blessed it, he gave it to them, he said, this is my body given for you, eat this and remember me. Remember my love when you eat it. Later in the meal he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins drink this and remember me when you drink it let's stand and let's pray together the prayer jesus taught his followers to pray our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever amen you may be seated want to invite the communion servers to come forward at this time and as they're coming forward, some instructions for you if you've never celebrated communion with us before at Hope, ushers will tell you when it's time for your row to come to the closest communion station. We'll give you a wafer of bread, and if you think of it, if you remember, don't eat it right away but dip it in the dark colored wine or the light colored grape juice. We also have an allergy free station available on the far right hand wall towards the front, and Stacy, I would love to serve you there. Uh, sometimes people wonder Am I really welcome at the Lord's table? You got to understand there is a God that we believe in here who has opened the door wide open for you to come and to eat and experience real love and real life. So come, all is prepared.